Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. So good to be here with you all and uh, lots of familiar faces, of course. I I was here not too long ago, just a little over a month ago. uh, Hannah had contacted me a while ago and asked if I could come in December of 2019. And I said, sure, yeah, I can. you guys plan way ahead. I'm impressed. That's awesome. But uh, then with Gordon now, I um, had the opportunity. To, so February is kind of like the new December. You know, it's great. Just like I'm believing that, uh, you know, 45 is the new 25 and all that kind of stuff too, right? <laughs> Speaking of Super Bowls, even though I've never really been much of a Tom Brady fan, I have to admit, as I'm, you know, now 45, when I see a guy who's 41 still going at it, trying to make it all the way to 45, I, I won't be upset if he wins. I'll just say it, Okay. Now, hopefully I didn't alienate you and you'll still listen to what I have to say today. I know Tim's going to listen, but other than that, I'm not sure. But um, no, it's so good to be here with you. You know, the, the game today, um, it's, it's a game obviously that we know uh, probably most of us are going to watch. Uh, it's kind of like almost a national holiday. It's, uh, it's something that hundreds of millions of people across the planet are going to watch today. There are billions of dollars at stake in terms of the betting and all the stuff that's going to go on And we're going to watch as the Los Angeles Rams and the New England Patriots take the field and very large and extremely strong and fast men are just going to smash into each other, putting in unbelievable effort to try to win this battle. And we're hoping that it's an exciting Super Bowl. We've had some pretty exciting ones in recent years. We don't like it when they're super boring. But, you know, as they exert all that effort, fighting each other and, and just trying to win that prize... Many of us will be watching, exerting effort, uh, you know, eating food and <laughs> watching the commercials, right? But, you know, in, in the same way that this, uh, this game takes place and, and, you know, the odds are, are high, you know, in terms of uh, some of the things of this world, uh, we are also in a game ourselves. We're in a battle ourselves, but the stakes are much higher. They're of eternal consequence. Um, every day, as people who belong to Christ, some of you walk into environments perhaps that are um, indifferent to God, maybe in some cases even hostile to your faith, and uh, you face this on a daily basis. And uh, sometimes we experience these as places to dread, Uh, but I'd like to take maybe a different perspective today, and at least where God has you now, even if if that is true of of what you walk into on a daily basis, whether it's uh, where you work or maybe where you study or even where you might, might live, that perhaps God has something for you in those environments, some of the greatest spiritual breakthroughs or doorways, if you will, uh, for your life, for his kingdom to be at work. So we're going to look at Daniel chapter 1 today. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you want to turn over to Daniel 1, go ahead and do that. Just a couple things on the background as you do. Um, Daniel's a well-known prophet. We mostly think of him with uh, Daniel and the lion's den, you know, that, that type of thing. Um, and that's in chapter 6. But Daniel was a prophet of God who, who served uh, during the time of what's called the Babylonian exile, the 70 years after the southern kingdom of Judah had been conquered by Babylon from uh, roughly 605 to 535 B.C. He even lived beyond that 70 years of captivity and served under the Persian Empire that followed. And the book of Daniel is uh, interesting in that the first six verses are full of practical examples of how to live sort of a a godly life or a spirit-filled life in the midst of a secular and sometimes even what you might call a godless environment. And then the second half of the book, 7 through 12, is full of like these apocalyptic visions of of prophecy and and all these metaphors of animals and all kinds of crazy things that actually have relevance to real-world events. 
Um, and then we'll see that Daniel, he served and he flourished on the administration of these pagan empires in which he was forced to serve, but he never wavered in his faithfulness to God. And so in that way, he's an incredible example to us today. So um, let's take a look then at verses 1 and 2. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. So this king here, Jehoiakim, of the southern kingdom of Judah, he's this evil king, and uh, he had been warned multiple times by the prophet Jeremiah that he needed to repent. He was told, repent, turn to the Lord, uh, otherwise Babylon's going to come and destroy you. And he just completely blew Jeremiah off. In fact, uh, in chapter 36 of Jeremiah, we're told that when one of the, the guys came to read to him the words of Jeremiah on a scroll, every time he would read, he would take a knife, cut the words off from the scroll, and then throw them into the fire. In other words, he's saying, like, I could care less what this prophet has to say. And then, of course, he paid the price for ignoring what God was saying, and Jerusalem is utterly conquered. The vessels of the house of God are taken. And this is actually the first of a series of three invasions that Babylon would, would then take upon Jerusalem, culminating in 586 when the temple um, is completely destroyed and Jerusalem lies in ruins. So, so they're now in Babylon, this, this gigantic empire, the largest and most powerful empire of its day. In fact, uh, historians have calculated that these walls of Babylon may have been as high as 300 feet, going 35 feet underground with 200 towers and 80 feet thick, where they would actually line up chariots on the tops of the walls as sort of a display of strength and glory to themselves, just to proclaim sort of their greatness. And within the city also were the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So let's go then to verse 3. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz... So I don't know if we have any families expecting here, but perhaps that's a name you might not consider, actually, I would say. Um, Commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding and learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. So when the author goes on and on about these guys, like, it would be sufficient for him to just say, these are some, like, outstanding use, but he goes on, they're intelligent, they're good-looking, they can learn all this stuff, because he's making a point that these were, like, the best of the best of the people of Israel, and they've now been taken, just like those vessels in the temple were taken by Nebuchadnezzar, now the top, uh, sort of, cream of the crop, the use of the people of God are also taken, and so what's happening is Nebuchadnezzar is, right from the outset of this book, we see he's making a, he's making a declaration, it's me versus your God, and Nebuchadnezzar, of course, has proclaimed himself to be sort of the true God or the true spiritual power. Uh, So anyways, back to verse 5. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. So Babylon, being as big and powerful as it was, would intimidate any visitor to the city and sort of was designed to put them in a state of awe. 
But imagine how much maybe more insignificant um, you might feel if you're one of these Hebrew youths. Your people have just been completely decimated by this empire. You've been separated now from your family. Maybe your family's even dead. And here you are, and you might just feel so small and so insignificant. In ancient times, when Babylon would, would conquer other uh, nations, they would take their people, they would put the men to work in often slave labor, they would take the most beautiful women and add them to the king's harem, but they wouldn't just build their kingdom through uh, physical strength, they would also take the most intellectual and the brightest among them and use them to build their sort of intellectual empire. And that's how Daniel and his friends are described as these guys who will now, their minds and their leadership skills, as they're moldable and shapeable, they will be used now to build the kingdom of Babylon. And we look specifically and see that they have some really tough challenges in front of them. Babylon is looking to deconstruct who they were, to reshape them into a new image, into the image of Babylonians. And so there's three different ways that they're attacked here. Number one is there's an attack on their thinking, on their minds. They're forced to learn all the language and the learning of the Babylonians. This would include a history of the gods of Babylon. It would include astrology and black magic. Um, It would include a history of their military conquests, which, guess what? The most recent one was they had just conquered Israel, so that would be something they'd have to learn about. And they would attempt to sort of reshape their thinking into a Babylonian way of thinking. Then there's this attack on their lifestyle. Notice verse 5, they're assigned this portion of food that the king ate and the wine that he drank. And um, we're going to see in just a few verses that they actually refuse to eat and drink what the king offers. Um, Not that there's anything wrong with that food or that wine, but it was food that some may have been unclean according to the Old Testament dietary laws, which no longer apply. But often it was offered to gods in in sacrifice. And, And so just the way it was at that time is for them to eat or drink some of that would then be affirming the worship of these false gods, and, and it might make them unclean in, in terms of uh, uh, Levitical purity and stuff. So, the, so there's this attack. The, the bottom line point is there's an attack on their lifestyle. There's, there's the temptation to turn them away from the ethics and the principles by which they lived as people of God and to just sort of blend in with everyone else. And then there's going to be this attack on their identity. Very uh, interesting here, verses 6 and 7, is that their names are changed. And, you know, Names mean something to us today. I mean, we, we place value on names, right? Uh, but in this culture, names were far more important than, uh, than they maybe are to us typically today. In fact, one commentator says this, To the Hebrew mind, the name is much more than simply a tag or an appellation. It contains within itself the soul, the character of the man, indicating what he is in the depths of his beings. And so... Um, it's interesting to see what these names mean. So the name Daniel means God is my judge, right? And the new name that he was given, Belteshar, means Bel protect his life. So no, your God is not your judge. In fact, you need to cry out to our God to just protect you, right? They're, they're making this statement. The name Hananiah means the Lord shows grace. And the name Shadrach, the new name he was given, means the command of Aku, one of their, one of their gods. The name Mishael means who is what God is. The name Meshach means who is what Aku is. Pretty clear what they're doing there. And then the name Azariah means the Lord helps. The new name Abednego means servant of Nego. So there's a direct challenge here. It's kind of like saying, look, forget about the God of your past. Get with the program of what's happening today. This is now who you are. It doesn't matter what you grew up with or what you learned before. Clearly, this is what's going on now. 
get with the times, right? And, and so as we look at their lives, uh, there's a lesson for us in this as well, and it might be stated this way, is that the godless culture we live in will attempt to deconstruct or even destroy our worldview, our lifestyle, and even our identity as followers of God. Many uh, missiologists are now saying that we're, we're sort of like the church in exile in America, meaning that uh, most people in our nation are not Christians, contrary to what religious surveys say, they're, they're not, um, and they certainly don't even have sort of the basics of a Christian worldview or, or values. And so rather than, you know, saying, well, that's something we should fear, I mean, certainly there, there's a place for healthy concern, but it's also an opportunity for us to, to live counterculturally as Christians and to be a testimony to the world through our love for Christ and for others and in how we live. And I think this is where Daniel can give us some thoughts and some ideas in what we see here in chapter 1. Now, before we get there, though, um, we may not always agree on what it looks like to sort of live as kingdom people in, in a secular world or spiritual living in a secular world is how I've heard it said as well. Um, so here's, here's like some broadly speaking, here's some choices we have in how we can react to our sort of increasingly godless society. Number one is we can just reject it and kind of live in fear and just say, you know what, I'm going to isolate myself from the world. I'm going to stay in the safe confines of fellow Christians. I'm not even going to engage with the world um, with, with Christ, with his power. Um, so that's one option, right, just sort of retreat. Another one is just kind of go with the flow, you know, roll with it. It's kind of a selfish response. I'll, I'll just be a chameleon. I'll act like Christians when I'm with Christians, and when I'm not with Christians, I'll sort of act like I'm not a Christian. Then nobody gives me a problem, and life is easy, right, um, or so we think. Or we can get angry, right, and just, well, I'm going to fight against everything. Everything's evil. I'm just going to rail against it all. I'm going to try to change everything to conform to my values. And uh, this is to sort of never really dialogue with anybody, but just sort of always be, you know, typing things on social media in all caps and that kind of thing, right? Um, or to embrace it. Say, no, this, this is the reality. This is the world we live in. The scriptures are pretty clear. It's not going to be easy to follow Christ. It is easy to come to faith in Christ, as we've already heard, right? But it's not always easy to follow Christ in this world. And so we're, we're going to embrace it. And we're going to say, we'll be people who are marked by love. As Jesus said, they'll know they're my disciples by the love they have for one another. And and so we'll affirm our identity in Christ. We'll affirm our identity with the community of Christ. We'll engage the world with the whole gospel of Christ and bring the transformational power of the kingdom into whatever sector of life where he has placed us. So obviously that's a kind of a loaded question with four loaded responses. We, are, we want to choose that last one, right? And so let's look at Daniel, though, and see what are some things we can learn from him. Because he's in a, in a new reality, in a new environment, in a new society that he didn't have any choice about. And it was really a lot more hostile than anything we've ever had to face. And yet somehow he was able to stay faithful to the Lord and flourish in that environment. And so I think there's some things we can, we can learn from him. So first, look at verse 8. It says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. So the first thing is making up our mind. Just make up your mind. I need to make up my mind about who I want to be. Um, most of the time... We are not going to be specifically prepared for the attacks on our faith or the temptations that are going to come our way on a given day. I mean, that would be awesome if we were. Like if I could wake up in the morning and sort of get this uh, checklist downloaded to me, Josh, at 10 o'clock, 
You're going to be tempted to, uh, you know, curse at the guy who cut you off on the freeway, right? And then at 12 o'clock, a temptation's going to come your way. So be ready for that. Maybe just avoid it altogether. And then at at 2 o'clock, you're going to be tempted to gossip about this person because people are going to be talking and you're going to want to jump right in and go, like, but we don't get that, right? We don't get this list where we can just sort of like, okay, I can pre-make myself ready for every single little circumstance and and issue that's going to come. But we can decide beforehand what kind of person we desire to be in any situation. So so Daniel made up his mind before walking in here that he was okay with learning stuff. He was okay with being a part of this program. He was okay with uh, entering the king's presence. And he was even okay with him changing his name. But now when it came to something that he would personally have to do that would violate his integrity and his standards... As a man of God, he said, I've made up my mind. This is something I will not engage in. Just beforehand, he made up his mind. And this is what we're called to do. We see this over and over again in Scripture. Moses said to the people of God, choose life. Joshua said, decide on this day who you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Elijah looked at the people of God and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. And we see examples of this in life, right? I was talking to a couple at our church a few weeks ago. They're an older couple. They've been married over 50 years. And recently the wife's gone through some serious back surgeries and he's really serving his wife in a very sacrificial way. And I just commended him. I said, man, it's just amazing that you're loving your wife. You're not complaining. Um, You've got, you know, I'm sure you have your moments, but but overall, you're just loving her and you're serving her and it's got to be tough. And, you know, he just looked at me and he said, yeah. He goes, I, I took vows. I meant them. And so I'm doing this. And I just think that's awesome. You know, in other words, he's saying, I did sign up for this, right? And I think that's the attitude we take when it comes to God. Just, man, God, wherever I go, whatever, wherever I'm living, wherever my, whatever my workplace, wherever, wherever I go, maybe an, an exercise or my hobbies are, my recreation, wherever I go, I want to be a person that honors you. I want to be a person that, that has made up my mind that I belong as a son or a daughter of God. And that's what Daniel did. So then we go to verse 9. It says, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are out of your own age? So would you endanger, So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. And at the end of ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh, meaning they look healthier, than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. So here's the next thing we learned from Daniel in his life is just at sometimes there's a a time to step up and speak up and take some risks in doing so. So you notice Daniel, he's polite, he's respectful, he goes through all the proper channels, he works through the hierarchy, he never has this attitude, but he does speak up. And the Babylonian officials are already sort of impressed with who he is, maybe by his work ethic and attitude. So they don't just blow him off. They actually listen to him when he comes with this request. But they fear for their own lives. They're like, dude, if you do this, 
and you look worse than these other guys, they literally will have my head. Like, it wasn't just like I'll get fired. It was like I might actually lose my head. Like, it will be cut off. I will die, right? That's what they faced with this kind of ruthless empire. Um, but yet he pushes forward, and he speaks up, and they allow him to do this. And so for our own lives, there is such a thing as picking and choosing our battles. We should not speak out against every single thing we oppose, all right? I mean, just that's, that's probably not the best method or approach. And we shouldn't be disrespectful to those who maybe have authority over us, even when we disagree with them. But there does come a time where in a respectful way we, we speak up and, and we, we allow God to, to work. And, you know, I remember uh, <clears throat> years ago when I was uh, substitute teaching before I became a pastor and I was finishing up seminary and, and that kind of thing, I was, I was working in a school district down in the Los Angeles area at a school called Norwalk High School. And this was a, this was a, a kind of a rough area. Um, you know, you drive into the school, all the houses around it had bars on like every single window. So it's kind of like, okay, this probably isn't the, the greatest neighborhood in the world, right, as you pull up. But I was, I was assigned to work in a classroom of uh, special education. So I thought, okay, this will be kids. I, I, I coached some special education uh, PE as an elective when I was a high school student. Uh, kids with Down syndrome, this type of thing. Okay, I, this will be a good day. Um, so I show up, and, and, and then they tell me, oh, no, this isn't kids with disabilities. These are the worst kids in the school. And I was like, oh, okay. And I'm like 24, right? And I'm thinking, okay. So I, I go into this class, and as soon as they see there's a substitute teacher, you know, there's a lot of joy on the students' faces, right? It's late 90s. They're like, oh. And they're doing things like, oh, raise the roof. It's a sub. You know, they're starting to dance and all these things. And I'm going, oh, this is going to be not a great day. So I give them their assignments, and I'm okay, maybe they'll just do their work, and I'll just make it out of here. I'm just watching that clock. Um, but then they, they see my wedding ring, and, and a couple of them start going, hey, are you married? And I go, yeah, you know, and okay, I'm connecting. Good, this is good. I'm connecting with them. And uh, I think the follow-up question will be something like, how long have you been married? How did you meet your wife? But, but no, the next question was, are you cheating on your wife? And I'm like, uh, excuse me? And they go, yeah, you're cheating on, you know you're cheating on her. And I'm like, no, I'm not. And they go, what about your wife? Where does she work? And I said, she works at a Biola University. And they go, she's at a university. You know she's cheating on you over there. And I'm like, this is getting, and it's getting out of control. I mean, it was starting to seriously stress me out. And uh, so finally I said, you know what? I, I, I should probably speak up about my faith because this is an opportunity um, for me to say something. And uh, so I said, well, I don't cheat on her. And let me tell you why. Can I tell you guys why? And they're like, yeah, tell us. And then as soon as I'm about to talk, the door swings open, and this uh, uh, Hispanic lady, she's in her 50s, she's like the teacher's age, she walks in, and she's like, what is going on in here? And I said, well, um, the students were asking me whether or not I'm faithful to my wife, and I was going to tell them that I am and why. She's like, what does this have to do with the lesson? I go, nothing really, but they were asking, can I tell them? And she's like, go ahead. And I go, is it okay if I talk about my faith? And she's like, go ahead. So I go, okay, great. So I just proceeded to tell the students my wife and I know Jesus, we love Jesus, and we love each other, and we strive to be faithful in that covenant of marriage. It's, it's, it's a big deal. And they just got quiet. And then some of the same students have been asking these questions, uh, you know, about whether she's cheating on me or whatever, were saying, well, if, if there's a God, then why did my cousin get shot? And somebody else said, if there's a God, why did my sister die in a drug overdose? And I'm like, I don't know what to say. But then that teacher's age, she stands up, and she looks at her, and she says, Miha, the reason is is because when you, when you pray, you got to pray like you mean it, just like he said. And I'm like, I didn't even say that, but that was pretty sweet, right? Um, 
And then from there, I would love to say like the class just like came to faith and it was like this revival. It, it, that didn't happen, okay? What happened was the class sort of calmed down and they actually did their work. And, uh, but then this teacher's aide took about two of those young girls aside and throughout the entire rest of the period, she was actually counseling them and, and ministering to them. And, and they were crying and she was praying with them and it was, it was just amazing to see. And, and the thing is, for me to speak out, it was a big deal. Yeah, I was a substitute teacher, wasn't my career path. I was actually on with two other districts. Wouldn't have been a super big deal if I had been fired. But for this lady to speak out, this was her job. I don't know how important it was to her. It may have been the only income that she had, and yet she was willing to speak out in that situation. She just knew the timing was right. And, and so sometimes we're called to speak up and take risks. And then moving on then to verses 17 through 21, we see what the result is, is that they, they were healthy, God gave them favor, and then we see, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. And here's kind of uh, another thing we learned from their lives, is that we can get along in godless environments to a certain extent, and it's okay to do so. The other thing we don't want to do is take the opposite extreme where it's like, well, we should just have nothing to do with the world. We should just, you know, sort of retreat or, you know, there shouldn't be any favor at all. It should all be nothing but persecution. And while we need to be ready for that, it is also possible and it's okay and to not feel guilty if you live by godly principles and God advances you and whether that's with titles or position or uh, direct influence and authority or, or salary or whatever the case may be, it's okay. It can be a good thing. The key is to keep growing by drawing close to God every day through the resources he's provided. That's his word, his spirit, and his people. Daniel and his friends would learn. There was good things to learn in Babylon. It wasn't all black magic and astrology. They also were the first to develop astronomy. They were the first to develop a codified legal code. They were the first to have like deeds and titles to houses and banking sort of management systems. So there was a lot of good things they would learn in Babylon, but they would not stop growing. And, and the, the danger we have is if we, if we grow in all the, the worldly advancements, but we start to sort of uh, slowly detach or decrease our, our growth in the Word of God and through the Spirit of God and through the people of God. Those are the resources God has given every single one of us equally, His Word, His Spirit, and His people. And we continue to grow. Daniel was a man of the Word. We'll see throughout the Scriptures. In Daniel 9, he's studying the prophecies of Jeremiah. He knew what God's Word Taught. He was a man who was led by the Holy Spirit to speak up when he was supposed to speak up, to keep silent when he needed to keep silent. And he was a man who was deeply uh, involved in the lives of others. His friends here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? The four of them, they, they, they won victories together. They prayed together. They stood for God together. They made a difference together. And that's why your church does things like life groups, because it's so important to be in community with other believers, uh, one of the things that's consistently, since I started to really follow Christ when I was 19 years old, one consistent practice that's been in my life um, has been to be connected in some type of small group, to, to never let myself go much longer than a few weeks 
without small group contact with others because it's in those small group contexts where we can get real and we can talk about the struggles we're facing and the temptations we're facing and the dreams that are on our heart and we can pray for each other and encourage each other. And over the years in that small group context, I've literally seen God save marriages and save families and people come with their struggles at work and we pray and, and there's spiritual help, but there's also tangible help. And that, that's what happens when we do life together. We all need to grow in the word of God. We all need to grow in being led and transformed by the spirit of God. And we all need to grow in our relationships with the people of God. And then finally, just believe that the kingdom of God can break out wherever we are. You know, it's not just when we gather as God's people. This is amazing to gather together on Sundays and, and in life groups and whatever else. You know, a Friday night uh, game night or connection time or whatever the case may be. Those are great but you know, God wants his kingdom to work in us and through us wherever he has us seven days a week. And if God's kingdom can break out in this most unlikely environment, the training center for the most powerfully anti-God nation on the earth at that time, and even in the presence of this emperor himself who had sort of set himself up as God, if he could break out there through these guys then whatever environment you find yourself in, or I find myself in, don't believe the lie that God can't show up there, because he can. And maybe some of you even have some environments that you're going to walk into, maybe today or even tomorrow, that you're thinking of, God is with you in those environments. And he can use you as his salt and his light to shine for his glory right there. We're called to stand up for what's right and let God take care of the rest.